And welcome to yet another episode of Hidden for the Cycle. I'm your host, Hank and Dichter, And as pretty much usual, we've got a lot to cover today. The Yankees had a pretty good week again. But of course, the big news with the Yankees is we had a no-hitter for the first time in 22 years. A lot of other interesting stuff happened. The Mets had an up-and-down week. But before we get into all that, I'd like to give you a friendly neighborhood reminder. Give us a follow on all of our forms of social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the works. And in addition, of course please give a subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. Now, before we get into the big news about the MLB, let's go over some of the big leaders right now, starting with batting average. Now, one of the big reasons the Chicago White Sox are in first place in the American League is Yerman Mercedes is hitting 358. Somehow, of course, his manager does not quite appreciate that, but of course, we will get into that later. And one of the big reasons I thought the Red Sox would be a threat early on in the season was Xander Bogarts is hitting 346. And yeah, the red there's a big reason they're in first place as well. Jordan Alvarez hitting 343, and uh, Cincinnati's got a little bit of competition. Jesse Winker is leading the National League with a 343 batting average. His teammate Nick Castellanos not too far behind at 338. And let's get to the home runs. And I'm going to talk about this guy pretty soon as well. Shohei Otani has 14 home runs. What more can I say about him that needs to be said? The guy can do it all. He can hit, pitch. He can even go into the field in the day he pitches too. Amazing. And of course, you also got a big, some competition in the, in, in the Atlanta Braves. You got Ronald Acuna with 13, Freddie Freeman at 12, and of course, another cluster with Mitch Hanniger, Jose Ramirez, and Aaron Judge of our New York Yankees also at 12. And of course, RBIs. I think I covered this a little bit with Brady last episode. Trey Mancini, in addition to his good comeback, he is leading the, the league with 38 RBIs. That's a great story. Happy to see him back and recovered from cancer. And too far behind him, you got Yuli Gurriel with 36. J.D. Martinez and Rafi, Rafi Devers are not too far behind. They both they both have 34. And Jose Abreu with 33. And uh, let's get into some of the pitching stuff. Jack Flaherty leading the league in eight wins. Clayton Kershaw, Urias, got a whole cluster behind them. Strikeouts, you got Shane Bieber with Garrett Cole not too far behind. Trevor Bauer's making that contract look worth it so far with 77. He's eight behind Tyler Glass now. And, of course, Max Scherzer's still on his game with 76. And, of course, last but not least, let's get to the ERA. And, um, yeah, this isn't even close. Jacob deGrom, 0.68. Absolutely filthy. This guy is the best pitcher in Major League Baseball. You can't even argue with that. I can't wait till he comes back. I think the Mets probably did the right thing by letting him rest. But uh, 
before we get into the Yankees recap, let's get into one of the comments. Andy Hopper, what's up, Hank? Andy, how's it going? Thanks for tuning in. Folks, if you want to keep watching and uh, interact with us, please leave a comment down below. I would love to have some more interaction-friendly banter with you guys. And now uh, let's get into the Yankees right now and uh, Corey Kluber. So first off, the Yankees, you know, they won another series. They had some... It's been a bit of an up and down week for them because they had a lot of injuries. Well, Stanton hurt his quad. He's on the 15-day IL, or 10-day IL, rather. Aaron Hicks is also hurt, so they had to call up Ryan Lamar, who also has been put on the IL due to straining his hamstring in the Corey Kluber no-hitter. But, you know, unfortunately, this was, the ineb- this was inevitable. The Yankees were going to end up losing a lot of these players eventually. You knew they weren't going to go through the season fully healthy, but if they did, it would have been a whole miracle. And... Not to mention, you also had Glaber sitting out of the Orioles series in the first half of the Texas series. He was he had COVID, and apparently he got it despite having had it like in the off season, and uh, despite being fully vaccinated. At least he's back right now. Glad that's over with. So let's get to the Orioles series. They took two out of three in Baltimore, as the Yank, as of course you would expect. Gio Urshela hit a pinch hit three run home run to lead the Yankees to a comeback five four win in the seventh inning. Game two, the Yankees pretty – this wasn't even a contest. The Yankees jumped out to an early 5 nothing lead. It was 3-0 in the first. You had a Gary Sanchez, two-RBI single, and then you had an Aaron Judge home run. He's one of those hitters that absolutely loves hitting in Baltimore. Yankees win this 8-2. They probably should have swept this series. They had an early 4 nothing lead in the third game. Judge hit another home run, but unfortunately, Jordan Montgomery did not really have a good start, and Orioles ended up coming back. They won that game 11-5, but – the big reason, the big thing to talk about right now is, of course, the Texas Rangers. The first game of that series, Garrett Cole broke an MLB record. He had 61 strikeouts without a walk. But despite this, he didn't have his best stuff that day. Willie Calhoun and Dolas Garcia both hit home runs, led to the Texas Rangers winning the game 5-2. Game two, the Yankees, of course, would bounce back. They had Jamison Tyon having a tough outing. He gave up three runs in the third inning, but in the fourth, they scored five runs. DJ LeMay, who hit a clutch two RBI double to give them lead, and Yankees win this game 7-4, and let's get into some more comments. Nick, you're in luck. We've got a few uh, Met guests backstage waiting behind. Your brother is one of them, and of course, our other good friend, John Quinn. I'm really excited. And um, Tom Scavetta comments, Kluber and Turnbull on back-to-back nights. What has the MLB come to? That's a good question, Tom. I mean, it seems like Seems like they stopped juicing the balls or maybe the hitters are just trying to go for the home runs. I don't really know what it is. It's really crazy. But with that being said, Tom, I'm glad you made that comment because I think it is now time to segue to Corey Kluber. And, you know, what can I tell you? He has been absolutely filthy since not, well, not the whole season. He got up to a bit of a rough start early on, but he's slowly been getting better. And I think it all culminated with this game. Now, Prior to signing with the Yankees, you may recall, he was with the Texas Rangers in 2020. He only unfortunately pitched one inning and he had to go under the knife for Tommy John surgery. And it's one of the things you really hate hearing as a pitcher. And the Yankees obviously signed him to a one-year flyer deal. So it was really interesting to see how it all worked out. Now, obviously, this isn't the prime Corey Kluber who was winning Cy Young's multiple years, but you know, I think the Yankees have a pitcher who's got a lot of big game experience. So I think I definitely like the addition before the season. And obviously after last night, I like it even more now that the game actually didn't feel like a no hitter at first. Like, or let me rephrase that. It didn't really set in that it was a no hitter until later on, because 
remember this was a scoreless game going into the fifth and in- or sixth inning rather Tyler Wade hit an RBI triple. I believe Kyle Higashioka was on first base. He scored that run. And then Tyler Wade wouldn't end up scoring for an insurance run to give the Yankees a two nothing lead. And you know, as it turned out, that was all that Corey Kluber needed. He only walked one guy. He struck out nine batters. He was absolutely dominant. And there wasn't really any moment in this game that really made me nervous. Like, I know there was maybe getting into the eighth and ninth inning, but that's how everyone usually feels watching a no-hitter. And I think David Dahl, who was the second to the last batter, hit a deep fly ball to Tyler Wade that looked like it was going to drop in for a hit. And he caught it, thankfully, and the last guy grounded out. He got his no-hitter. And, you know, I must say, this was really the first time, probably in a long time, that I watched a Yankee game and I really felt, like, nervous with anticipation that I was going to see a no-hitter. Like, Remember, the last time the Yankees really were this close, had a no-hitter, was July 18th, 1999. That was David Cohn's perfect game against the Montreal Expos. And then after that, there are only a few games I remember the Yankees really being this close to a no-hitter. I know Masahiro Tanaka, I'm sure, had multiple starts where he gave up very few hits. But by the time like it was the sixth or seventh inning, the, the no-hitter anticipation was already gone because he had already allowed the first runner and the first guy to get a hit. But Aside from that, there's only two games that really stand out to me as having been like close to a no-hitter. Phil Hughes, I remember in his rookie year of 2007, he went six and a third innings, not allowing a hit to the Texas Rangers. And incidentally enough, Hiroki Kuroda in 2012 on August 14th, a game that I was also at, by the way, he went six innings without giving up a hit. And it took a soft Elvis Andrews infield single to break up that no-hitter. But that was one of the best games I saw him pitch as a Yankee. He only gave up two hits that day. It was a complete game. Yankees ended up winning that game. I believe Texan Swisher hit back-to-back home runs. But anyways, this was the first game that like I could really see a no-hitter past the seventh inning. And it was the first one where you really felt the tension and such a thrill, especially because this is the first time as a Yankee fan I got to witness my team throw a no-hitter in my lifetime. Because let's let's be real, I was in diapers when David Cohn and David Wells threw their perfect games, and I wasn't. I wasn't even born yet when Doc Gooden threw his no-hitter. That was May 14th, 1996. My birthday is in July of that year. But um, anyways, some fun facts regarding this game. Corey Kluber was the first Yankee pitcher to throw no-no on the road since Allie Reynolds in 1951. And then, not to mention, this is also the seventh no-hitter this season. I know technically the MLB is only recognizing six, but I'm going to include Madison Bumgarner in there. I don't care that that was a seven-inning game. That he pitched absolutely well in said game. And in addition, the other six guys who threw no hitters, Joe Musgrove, Carlos Rodon, John Means, who, as I mentioned before, he's leading the American League in ERA, absolutely filthy. Wade Miley and Spencer Turnbull were the others. It's been crazy with all those no hitters. And you know what? I know people like to say, oh, has the no hitter lost his value? Is it is it not as suspenseful? I don't really think so. I think the no hitter is always exciting no matter what team it's up against and no matter which batters you're facing, because it's, it's still a rare thing. And a lot of up until this year, I think a lot of people were saying, Oh, are you going to leave a pitcher in for nine innings? And to see all these no hitters right happening right now, I think it's pretty cool. And I'm one of those old school guys who likes a good pitcher's duel. Like I think a good pitcher's duel means a game can go quick and efficient. You'd see really good performances and it's something different. Although don't get me wrong. Home runs are awesome too, but Anyways, with that having some said, speaking of pitching, Yankees have been getting some good pitching too besides Kluber. I mean, Cor- Garrett Cole, despite his bad performance in game one, he's still doing all right. He has five wins. He's got a pretty low ERA and, you know, he, he's he's the ace that we need. And not to mention, 
Jordan Montgomery has definitely improved. I know, again, he had that bad start against the Baltimore Orioles, but he's another guy I'm not really worried about. And then you have Corey Kluber and Domingo Herman pitched today. He actually went seven scoreless innings. This was another this was another low-scoring game. The Yankees got their two runs. It was singles by Gio Rochelle and Aaron Judge. And again, that was all they really needed. And as much as you want to harp on the Yankees for not scoring as much runs as they could be, like the fact that they're getting getting pitching so good. And it's been a while since you've really seen the Yankees have good pitching consistently. I think that's really a great thing to say. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to see, seeing how the rest of this plays out because going into their next homestand, the Yankees come back this weekend. They have a big series against the Chicago White Sox, who we will talk about momentarily. Of course, they made some pretty big news. And of course the Toronto Blue Jays, who, as I said, even though they're in second or third place right now, it's really clustered up the division. Yankees are actually a half game behind the Boston Red Sox for first place as we speak. They're actually, no, a full game. I'm sorry. I take that back. They are, they have 25 wins, 19 losses. Boston's 26 and 18. Tampa is 26 and 19. They're really only, they're only one game behind the win column from Tampa and Toronto's not too far behind. So definitely want to get a big series win there. And then you've got the Red Sox coming up in a few weeks. So that should be interesting. But, now, though, I think it is now time to talk about the other team in New York. That would be the Mets. And to get this discussion started, I've got a few guests coming on right now, and I'm going to introduce these guys one by one. First, let's start off by including Review and Preview Zone, Paul Lombardi. You can catch him on Mondays at 7 for the 3 and D. Paul, how's it going? Doing good, Hank. You know, right? the Mets are playing well. You, despite everything that's going on, it's, it's been exciting. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm enjoying this baseball season. It's It's been a lot of fun. And um, we have a first-time guest in review and preview history. We got our friend uh, John Quinn coming at us Guys. from South in Georgia. How is it yeah. going, John? It's going well. It's going well. How are you, Hank? How are you, Paul? Thanks for having me. Doing pretty good, bro. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Mets are looking good. Yankees, they're making some progress. It's it's funny though, because I've been messing with Tom, you know, just telling him every morning, Oh, <laughs> did you see they lost last night? He's not too fond of that, but it happens. You gotta do what you gotta do. But uh, you know, all things considered, the Mets are looking pretty decent, even with all the injuries. I mean, what do they call themselves? The bench mob? They're just crushing it right now. <laughs> I got gotta I gotta ask. When you went to the Mets game on Monday, mm-hmm. with the Pilar first of all, with um happened with Pilar, obviously mm-hmm. it was terrible, but any chirping going on wearing your Mets garb in Atlanta? Oh, well, you know what? Less than I was expecting, if I'm being okay. completely honest. Okay, not bad. You know, I've, been, I've been to a handful of Mets-Phillies games and at, at City Field, to clarify. And, uh, you know, Phillies fans are relentless. That's just – that's their thing. You know, that's, yeah. that's what they're known for. They're known for being just absolutely <laughs> relentless, kind of classless people. But, uh, <laughs> but To say you the know, least. Of course, right? You know, that's that's their reputation. That's that's their, that's their thing, you know? But uh, down here, I was expecting a little bit more aggression, but I kind of was met with a lot of people down in Atlanta are sort of transplants. So there were a lot more Mets fans than you would anticipate. And yeah. the people you ran into were the Braves fans. They'd give you a side eye, but they wouldn't really say anything unless they were drunk. But, I mean, you're going to run into people like that at any ballpark, you know? But uh it was it was a little surprising. It was everyone was rather cordial, which was kind of 
odd. I'm used to New York. I'm used to to bloodthirsty. <laughs> exactly. Hey, no, that sounds like a fun experience. I SunTrust Park's one of the newer ballparks. I haven't been there yet, but as you guys know, one of the main things on my bucket list. I want to get to every single major league ballpark. Doesn't really have to involve the Yankees in it. I just want to go there just to like say I've seen them all. You know what I mean? But right. Yeah, no, that sounds like a lot of fun. I've I've seen the Yankees play in like a few different series, despite seeing them in Boston a number of times. I don't somehow I got out of there in one piece. I think the key is don't really don't really be too loud there. Just be yourself, enjoy the game, and then you'll get out just fine. But yeah, Philly, <laughs> I'm a little antsy about going there, but I, I definitely would love to see there. That, that, I mean, that's I in think fact, a nice ballpark. I just want to go experience a game in Philly just for the sake of you know being able to say that I did it. You know, yeah. oh for sure, it's like yeah. one of those blazing wing shirts. It's like, oh yeah, like I w- I went to Philly and survived. <laughs> 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 um, well, they I still mean, they B Dub still owes you that shirt too. They so. do, and it's so. Me and Dom never forget. Yeah, never. <laughs> oh I mean, gosh. I mean, next time, <laughs> next time before we hit up a Mets game, we're we're running into there and we're demanding those shirts. I'll take one by force. I've earned it. I did the yeah, challenge. It's, it's about <laughs> yeah. time. It is. Yeah, it's man. Been, what, six God. years longer? <laughs> it's been six years. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, ridiculous! I think it might be. It was like junior year. I think. Yeah, it was so. like summer between uh, junior year and senior year, but that was unreal. You can never forget that pain. That was classic. Um, <laughs> a little reminiscing. Yeah, no, it it my eye. like an awesome experience in of itself. I got to do that too. But um, anyways, let's get to the Mets for for a bit, like. Oh, yeah. So obviously they got swept in Tampa Bay, or as I like to call that dump, the Circus 10. And, you know, you're coming off a seven-game win streak, and it's kind, it was kind of surprising that they had that three-game loss just like that after they were, like, so hot. And it seemed like a lot of bad things happened in that series. Injur- players were dropping like flies, and, yeah, that first game really was a disaster. Now, I heard a lot of criticism among the Mets fan base about the way that Luis Rojas handled this game. I think – there were some people that said he probably should have let Peterson finish the inning, but then I also heard some people saying they should have taken him out right after right after that home run that he gave up. I think it was the eighth inning. What's your guys' honest take on uh, the way Louis, Louis Rojas handled that game? Paul, after you. Um, I, I don't think he did anything necessarily terrible. You know, mm-hmm. like I think he's done a lot of bad things in the past. Um. I, I don't think that him predicting like a Peterson blow up what it was anything. He was rolling for for most of that game too. So I don't think that that was necessarily bad. I think it was, you know, it, we just went down. Um, we Tampa Bay is a clutch team. We weren't, you know, we haven't played them um, very much over the last couple of years. We played them a little bit last year, but we're not really familiar with them. They're the reigning AL champs and we're beating up. You now we didn't have, we couldn't have DeGrom pitch one of the games. Uh, it's, it was difficult. And, you know, I think that Rojas, you know, did his best. Um, That's definitely, there's a lot of series that you can blame on Rojas, you know, some poor moves and stuff, especially, you know, your first game of the season as, you know, not, not playing Dom Smith and pulling Brom early, you know, the, for instance, but I, I didn't really, there wasn't anything that I was really too upset about with Rojas. I think it was just the race kind of overpowered us. We were hurt a little bit. We were a little beaten up um, and we just weren't able to catch up. Right. I mean, and if you think about it, like, look, I understand Peterson is a relatively inconsistent guy, you know, he'll have his moments where he's on and when he's on, he's on, but when he's off, he, you know, he can't hit a barn door from the inside, you know, yeah. but, and I don't remember what the pitch count was at the instance where he gave up the home run, but 
I mean, when you have someone who's sort of that inconsistent, and I think we can all agree that pitchers are kind of more mentally fragile than some of the other players on the field, you know, you look at them and everything is momentum, you know, except for, you know, the guys who are like Fort Knox up here, like Garrett Cole, DeGrom, Max Scherzer, you know what I mean? Exactly. So when you have a guy who sort of teeters like that on, you know, being a, not a star, but a consistently good player and being inconsistent, if he's rolling, you're only going to hurt his confidence if you pull him. Like those are leaving him in and allowing him to make that mistake. Yes. It may have cost him the game, Who's to say that it won't, you know, be a major thing down the road if we're like a game back or something, you know? But at the moment, when you're rolling like that, and considering he's this is his, you know, first full year because I think he his first year was last year in the shortened season. And you yeah. kind of got to let the guy go out there and make his own mistakes. That's the only way he's going to learn and grow and become a better player, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And like a guy with his potential and with his his main downfall right now is, you know, when he gets, starts giving up runs, he starts to implode and he, and he starts to lose the strike zone, that kind of stuff. And the only way he's going to, he's going to learn how to get out of that is by pitching through it in the majors. You know, right. he, could, he could go down to triple a and try to pitch through it, but it's not the same, you know, that's the best way you're going to do, especially with a young pitcher. Right. I couldn't agree more just because, I mean, what are you really doing for him? I mean, you could, you could say, Oh, well, the bullpen has looked a lot better this year. And, you know, to that, I would say yes, they have. Except for, yeah, for all, Trevor, for sure. Trevor May has been super inconsistent, and he's yeah. he's a, a thorn in my side. But <laughs> with the rest of them, I mean, you got Castro, you got Sean Reed Foley, you've got Diaz, who actually looks good for a change, which makes Kalenic coming up and being an absolute stud in Seattle all the more. Or it lessens the blow, you know. Um, but yeah, exactly, I still think Peterson is one of those guys where you got to let him go out there and make mistakes, yeah. just because only way you're going to learn, you know? Yeah, I, I think Tom seems to agree with us too. Let me pull up his comment that he just made right now. He says the best ones usually pull, push through those stretches and games when momentum isn't on their side. That's what I think makes picture lead. And yeah, I, I, yeah, Tom, I definitely agree with that. I think that's probably why you want to see guys like a Jacob DeGrom or a Garrett Cole going like seven or eight innings because like, you know, get, when a team is like struggling with getting hits or like scoring, I think one of the things that usually – keeps the game in their favor as a pitcher. So yeah, I definitely agree with that. And, um, but yeah, no, I definitely agree. I don't really think Louis Rojas is at fault for like the way this series happened. I think the Mets just ran into a buzzsaw. I mean, you look at the Rays right now and it's not just the Mets. The Rays have been like just beating up on a lot of teams. They're now, they're now only a half game out of, or sorry. Yeah. A half game out of first place. They are tied with Boston in the win column, but only one game back in as John Sterling likes to call it the all important loss column. And as you, as we mentioned, even without Blake Snell and even without some of their best bullpen pieces from last year, this is still the reigning AL champions. They're still, they're still going to be a threat and you can never count Tampa out. Trust me as a Yankee fan, I've seen this for many a year, but anyways, 22 to eight, I think the Mets got outscored. They had a three run lead in game two, but you know, again, I think this was an example of the pitching being like depleted. You had guys like uh, Lucchese and Reed Foley being unable to, hold it and you know stuff like that happens and make no mistake i don't necessarily think louis rojas is the best manager of this uh-huh. squad like i think time will really tell if that's the case but i'm not going to blame him at all for this series especially when you look at what happened against the atlanta braves and uh i believe you were at the monday game am i correct john i was it was it was interesting you know and you could like you were saying you could criticize rojas for a lot of things i think the way he's sort of going about handling some of the injuries has definitely been 
favorable in my opinion. And I'm not sure whether or not, you know, I think it's smart with DeGrom to, you know, send him to the IL, let him rehab, you know, no issues with that. Yeah. He's the best player in the game. You best pitcher in the game. At least you want to, you want him, especially with the deep push that they're planning on making, you know, you want him a hundred percent. I have no qualms with that. You know, maybe even like pitch count restriction for the first couple games back, whatever, you know, you do you, but you know, Taiwan Walker. All right. I get it. But bringing up some of these young guys like Fargus, like Khalil Lee, you know, I, I like them. They're high energy guys. They're great defenders, but the offense is certainly lacking, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, I think why they traded for Cameron Maven for cash, cash considerations. You know, it made sense. You know, you, you want to do something to bring in more offense, but I think this is kind of like, it's telling to an extent because, mm-hmm. okay, like you've got, you've got Nito who's been phenomenal as of late. You've got Pilar who prior to the, you know, breaking his face was awesome. You got VR who's been a stud. You've got the guy, uh, oh my God, the second baseman whose name I'm spacing on. Uh, he's awesome. been good. Yes. The, he used to play short for the Reds. Yep. He's yeah. been good. You know, so you've got these good players, but, you know, let's say what happens when those guys go down? Because that's sort of where we're at. I mean, I saw with them putting Taiwan Walker on the IL, they're at 14 right now. And Pete Alonso is getting an MRI on his hand, might go up to 15. You know, so that's, that's a large number of guys to be missing, you know, especially when, you know, yes, McNeil, Conforto, you, you've got some pretty premier guys in your, your offensive lineup, but, you know, Walker, DeGrom, you know, the only real two guys that we can definitively say in the rotation that we know are going to make their starts are Stroman and Peterson. You know, so you're, you're missing a lot, yet they're staying resilient. So I think maybe he's trying to give some of these young guys by saddling some of the other people on the I.L. This opportunity is that, okay, let's just say they play well. Steve Cohen has made it abundantly clear that he's willing to make moves. So if these guys show out and it's the deadline, people are going to recognize that they've been playing well. And yeah. you could make a push for, you know, a Chris Bryan or, you know, even someone more realistic. But, you know, I think it's, it's a showcase of sorts. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, I, I said it a few episodes ago. I probably even said this in the episode where we last had Paul on. I honestly think on paper, this might be one of the deepest Mets teams like I've ever seen. And obviously, you know, this is coming from a hardcore pinstripe guy like myself, but like, it's really deep. And you see how much a lot of these guys, such as what, what's his name? He, he has a weird last name of, oh, I'm going to butcher it. Far, uh, John, John Sway Fargus. John Sweet Fargus, yeah. Name, John Sweet. John yeah. Sweet Fargus, he had a big hit too, didn't he? And you also have Jonathan Villar coming up big. Tomas Nito had a clutch home run in the second game of that series. That actually was the game that clinched it for the Mets. And, you know, I saw a tweet that Howie Rose made. I know you guys love Howie Rose, so you'll probably appreciate me bringing this up. How could you not? He, yeah, no, he's an expert on baseball. Mad respect. He said that this was one of the more resilient Mets teams that he's ever seen. Now, obviously, it's only May, and it may, might be too early to judge. But, like, given the circumstances what chances of what happened, how much stock do you take into that tweet? Into that tweet? Like, do you really think that, like, do you really think they are as resilient as he's making them out to be? Or is this just him, like, going off or, like, you know, sounding off on his own team? 
Oh, I think I think he's straight on. Honestly, to mm-hmm. be to be completely honest with you, I think that this team is resilient, and they're proving that too with the mm-hmm. amount of uh, you know, the bench players that are stepping up. That's that's been the key piece to all of this. Has been like the mm-hmm. bench players that have been stepping up because everybody's been going down. We still took two out of three in Atlanta, and we almost yeah. swept the series yesterday. We made it yeah. very close, and we got we have an outfield. We had an outfield of Mabin. Fargus and Cleo Lee last night uh, with Maven Bang third. You know, this team is resilient. Whoever has to step in has stepped up and arguably more than the, the everyday players. You know, there's, there's the everyday players have been struggling a bit at times. You know, Tomas Neo is now hitting better than James McCann. You know, he's, he's looked a lot better. Uh, you know, Mazik has uh, came up and has kind of been like a folk hero. There we go. Patrick. Right on cue, Tom. Right on cue. <laughs> Mazikas came up and has been like a folk hero, hit that bomb in Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, Peraza's came up and has played tremendous defense, is a decent clutch hitter. He had a couple of R- he had a two RBI double down the line last night. Um VR has been great. He gets clutch hits. P- Pilar was, you know, was huge until he went down. Um even Fargus, too. Fargus had two hits. Uh, and one in big hits in game two of the brief series. So, you know, Khalil Lee and Khalil Lee has, you know, has uh, is I think 0 for 8 with eight strikeouts to start the season. He's obviously not ready with the bat, but he's made two spectacular plays in right field, a diving catch and a catch right by the brick wall last night that saved a run that would have tied the game. They inevitably lost. But, you know, the, these guys are stepping up, whether it's with the glove or with whether it's with the bat. And these guys are getting playing time. Um, and it's, it's huge. That's why we're winning. And I think it's going to be huge this weekend because we got three games against the Marlins. And then we got four games at home against Colorado. And then Atlanta comes to, comes to City Field to play three games next weekend, Memorial weekend. This is going to be this is the perfect time for a lot of players to be down because Marlins are well under 500. The Rockies are arguably the worst team in baseball, uh, and you know we get we get to finish up our our season series with them, and we get four games with them at City Field this upcoming week. So that's going to be big, and we just need you know we need to just capitalize on this, and these guys just need to keep stepping up. We just need to tread water until they come back. You know, a lot of the guys who are on the IL right now too, like Conforto, McNeil, all those guys, they they might be back after the minimum ten days. They, uh, there's there isn't too many serious injuries. I mean, we might have, we might not see Pilar for a while. Um, that's that's kind of an obvious, and we might not. Um, there's you know a couple of others that we might not see for a while. But Tanza still hasn't come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, for the most part, they're all um, they're they're really all uh, just going to be out for like the the minimum time. That's they're going to be out for the minimum ten days. So you know, once they come back, things will be better. But the, these guys are just doing a good job holding down the fort for now. Not only that, I mean, you also got to keep in mind. Okay, like Davis, it seems like has been out for you know the majority of the year. He's already started his rehab. Syndergaard, who you know, I don't think any of us expected him to to be back this quick. He's already starting his rehab. Seth Lugo, probably the most important piece of the bullpen started his rehab earlier this week and Carrasco is probably going to be back by the end of June. So, you know, keep in mind how well they've been doing prior to all the injuries. You're also factoring, you got to keep in mind that they were missing pieces prior to that, you know, so full health, you know, right at the midway point, I think that's really when they put like pump the jets, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And, um, 
I also want to piggyback on your comment about Jacob Wrong. I, I agree with you also that they're doing the right thing by resting him and like yeah. making him skip a start and having him go on the IL. Like if he felt a side a side tightness after one start and he felt to get and he had to get out early after one of them, like I don't think you can really take a chance on that. It could get end it could end up getting worse. So I think the Mets this is much different than what I've seen them do in years past. Whereas if a player gets hurt, they'll just want them to keep play just so they can bring fans into the seats. We've seen, I've seen countless stories of the, of the Will Ponds doing that in years past. I think, I think the Mets are definitely handling Jacob deGrom the right way. Yeah, right. And, uh, another, now here's a silly question I want to ask you mm-hmm. before I move on to my next segment, rat or raccoon, which did you think it was? Probably a raccoon, honestly, because McNeely's been there for you know a little bit longer. And don't get me wrong, I, I really like Lindor. I think uh, you know the thing that we've sort of seen about him. Obviously, the numbers aren't exactly where we'd like them to be, but he has been putting the ball in play and he's been hitting it hard. It's just sort of a matter of it's directly at people, and that's you know that's the easiest yeah. problem to fix. It's just time and patience because you keep doing what you're doing, eventually they're going to fall. But I will say I'm siding with McNeil on this. <laughs> yeah, I see. I completely agree with that. That's a big thing. Mets fans have to like calm down a little bit about the Lindor, about the Lindor stuff. A lot of people are get, a lot of Mets fans are overreacting a little bit right now. Um, you know, it's a new league. He's never played in the National League before. Brand new team, the biggest, the number one market in the in the country that he's playing in. Now he's got to get used to it. And it's the first month and a half of the season going on to two months. And exactly, just like you said, it's not like he's striking out every at bat. He's putting the ball in play. He's just not finding the gap too. Like he's hitting the ball, you know, and that's eventually going to change it. That's the same thing with McNeil too. McNeil's batting 240, but he's putting the ball in play. Eventually he's going to find the gaps. So that's, and that's what he always does. That's why he bets 310 every year. But right. uh, rat or raccoon, I'm going to say raccoon. Yeah. I, I've, it seemed to me that that was just a big creature. I don't even know. I'm not even a fan of this team. I'm just going to say raccoon as a guest because why not? But yeah, I agree. And, Paul, I think you told me also you you see Lindor as a good leader on this on the Mets squad. Is that true? Oh, definitely. It's been night and day. He's he's our best leader since David Wright, I think. Um, you know, Jacob Degrom is is our leader in many different ways, but he's very soft spoken, and it's a difficult for a pitcher to be the kind of leader that an yeah, every exactly. player can be. Um, like the captain of a team, and Lindor is the best presence we've had since David Wright retired. He really is. He uh, he changes. He brings a winning attitude even when he's not playing. You know, I, that's that's what I love about him. He gets everybody hyped up. I lo- one of the things I love is that he's at every mound visit too. Even when it's just the catcher going out to talk to you, even when it's McCann jogging out to talk to Taiwan Walker mm-hmm. or Strowman or something, Lindor is always there. He's always joining in. He he's in the middle of every conversation that's going on, and it's huge. And everybody loves him too. And, you know, even if this McNeil-Lindor thing was a bit of an argument that happened, that's good. Like, there's nothing wrong with that because McNeil has a fiery personality. Lindor has a fiery personality. So if they're And they were both struggling. If they're both jawing back and forth at each other a little bit, they, a couple of days later they were hugging each other in the press conferences. So it's totally like – and none of them came out with black eyes. So, they, you know, yeah. there probably wasn't any punches thrown. If there was no raccoon, there might have been a raccoon. We have no idea. But it could have been a rat. <laughs> it could have been a rat too. Exactly. But yeah, Lindor is a huge, that's one of the big things you're paying for uh, is his leadership and his winning personality. Because I mean, if you, if you want to do any type of research, look back at his time in Cleveland and how he kind of just changed that organization and brought that team to the world series in 2016. And, you know, he's, he's just a winner. He's 
he's he influences everybody on the field and you know he's he's got the perfect personality for the Mets. I completely agree. Yeah. And one thing that you also gotta like factor in, he just radiates positivity. And that's exactly. the thing. Like he mm-hmm. obviously he's not having the results he wants at the plate, but you know, usually guys when they're when they're failing on one side of the ball, it usually bleeds into the other side and you see them, you know, kind of just, you know, boot a couple balls accidentally and they just they just sort of internalize that. And he's he doesn't seem to be doing that. Or if he is, he's putting on the best brave face I've ever seen, you know. Uh, but he's radiate, radiating positivity. He's picking guys up when they're, you know, struggling, which is exactly what you want. He's bringing a championship caliber pedigree to the team, which is, you know, I mean, aside from Jacob deGrom, I, I really can't remember anyone else that's that was on the 2015 World Series team, yeah. you know. Is so it? I think uh, I think it's going to take a minute or two for him to adjust to New York because, let's be real, Cleveland is not New York. When the Mets got Jay Bruce from the the Reds at the trade deadline, it took him that entire remainder of the season to really find him, you know, find himself again. You know, but then the following year he played significantly better than the year they acquired him. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's going to take some time. There're going to be some growing pains. But one of the thing I one of the things I will say about it is and, you know, complain about the length of the contract, the amount of the contract. We've got him for a while. He's he's got more than enough time to figure it out. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. We've got even everyone doesn't realize even if he bets two forty this year, we got him for another ten years. He's gonna he's gonna put up some three hundred seasons, and he's gonna get back to that forty home run, thirty doubles a year. Um, uh, what he was doing in Cleveland, I that I don't even I don't have any doubts about that, right? At all, and you know that's I you know watching him for all those years in Cleveland and just if. If any if any Mets fans out there are still getting are still you know a little worried about it, go look at his career numbers. That's all I gotta say. Right, the numbers don't lie. Numbers. And don't one lie. thing I will say is like, yeah, let's say he does bat two forty this year. It seems like everyone is their batting average is just taking a massive dip because of whatever the MLB decided to do with the balls. I mean, exactly. home runs are way down, and they're what six official no hitters so far this year. So yeah, I mean, it's, if it's well, if it's seven, universal, you can't get that. <laughs> I'll count it. I'll allow it. Yeah, I like Mad yeah. Bum. <laughs> Me too. But uh, I mean, look, if it's if it's just an isolated incident, it's whatever. But it seems to be a league wide phenomenon. So to fault one player for having their numbers down when everyone's numbers are down seems a little hypocritical to me. No, for sure. And like the league, the league average, like combined, I think is like in the two twenties or two thirties. So if he were to bat two forty this year, he'd be above average. And right. it would be, Which, it would be, still be considered a down year for him. So that's like, right. it's, it's kind of incredible to think about that. It's so absurd, though, that that's just the new status quo, or at least at the moment, yeah. that's what it is. And you could say, like, oh, you know, maybe pitchers are doing something to increase spin rates or whatever. Doesn't appear that way. No. It just kind of seems to be the ball. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It seems like they they had it. It was way too juiced, and there was too many home runs the last two years. And now all of a sudden, it's way under juiced, and where they can barely make contact. Like it's 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 absurd. I don't know I, what's going on. I blame Manfred. I, I, just, I that's worse. Yeah, he's you gotta blame him no matter what, no matter what's going on. Just blame him. Well, I mean, you look at every major sport, and granted, I don't know anything about hockey, so I can't attest to the, the NHL commissioner, but, I mean, Roger Goodell, for all his faults, he's not, great he's not terrible. He's not, he's not Manfred, though. No, Bet- Bettman's not great either. I'm, I'm a big hockey oh. fan. He's not great either, but, and neither is, neither is Goodell, but, yeah, I, I definitely agree. Manfred's the worst. Man fraud. Yeah. Adam Clover's the only one I like, to be completely honest with you. Yeah. I think yeah, Adam Clover's uh, the job. 
But at least Goodell never called it a, a piece of metal. So yeah, that's <laughs> terrible. But anyways, um, moving on here, uh, let's check more into the comments section. Alec Walt says hi, go Sox, and uh, Alec, thanks for checking in. You can go follow his show uh, down the block sports. Give him a subscription on YouTube. He's a really good. He know, he's got some good knowledge with baseball, football, and college football. Pretty much a lot of sports too. I had a I had a discussion with him a few weeks ago about Albert Pujols. That was a lot of fun, and um, we'll get to Albert Pujols later. But right now, let's get into one of the main things that I've been wanting to discuss this week: Yerman Mercedes versus Tony Larusa and the unwritten rules. Now. I'm going to start off by saying I have a lot to say about this, and I am really, really, really pissed about what happened. Now, let me explain why. Like, 15 to 4, you're up by that much. Twins have to bring in a position player. He serves up one of the craziest EFIS pitches I've ever seen. You know, one of the things that no one's talking about, he he hit an EFIS pitch to dead center. Like, forget the fact that it was a 3-0 count. Forget the fact that they were up by so many runs. That was pretty impressive. I don't care who it was. But yet somehow you have the Twins announcer complaining, oh, you can't do that. We're down by so much. Why Why do you have to swing at that? And then what's worse is you have Tony LaRussa going down and crying foul and saying, oh, no, 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 no. He made a big mistake. We're going to have to discipline him accordingly. First of all, that's not a mistake. He sees a meatball that's headed his way that he likes. You let him hit it out of there. I don't care what the score is. Now, the real issue I have, however, wasn't even that. Like, you're going to have people who are old school who feel like hitting a 3-0 pitch for a home run is wrong. Okay, fine. Fair enough. I get it. Here's my problem. He didn't just go complain about the old the old school unwritten rules. He threw his guy under the bus. I'm sorry. That is not okay. The, sec- the day afterwards, he Danny Duffy's the Twins pitcher. He throws behind him at his back. And I think the worst part is Tony LaRussa basically poured gasoline into the fire and said, oh, I'm, I'm okay with the Twins pitcher doing that. He needs to learn his lesson. Just, just shut up at this point, okay? Just just stop. Like, you're, this is your own player on your team. He's leading the league in batting average, and you've been without Eloy Jimenez, and he's, he's been a pretty big reason as to why you have the best record in the American League. Like, what, what's wrong? Like, what's the problem here? Why are you going on a player just for breaking – some old unwritten rules. And then of course you had Lance Lynn and many of his teammates sticking up for him. Lance Lynn said it best. He said that a lot of these unwritten rules are kind of slowly going down as the game's going on. Yet Tony LaRussa has the audacity to say, Oh, there's a reason I have a a manager's desk and he has a locker room. I can't stand it. Like Tony LaRussa is the reason why people think baseball is a dying game. It's stuff like that. We're seeing like unwritten rules is just like, old school traditionalism. I can't stand it. One of the good things about other sports is traditions are changing and other people are allowing it. It's, it's just flowing naturally. Whereas for some reason with baseball, if there's any little bit of change or any little thing that's going to make people's egos upset, then, you know, Oh, we got to stop this. I I, I can't take this anymore. I'm sure you guys probably, I want to hear you guys sound off on this too. Well, what I'll say is, I think it's more of a Tony LaRussa issue than it mm-hmm. is sort of unwritten rules. I mean, because there are some unwritten yeah. rules that are, you know, absolutely necessary. Like if you're going to hit someone, don't hit him in the head. You know, that's, that's kind of a given, you know, but I mean, 
let me throw this your way. You know, uh, let's look at Joe Girardi for an for example. You know, he's he's sort of more of an old guard type guy too. You know, obviously less so than Larusso, but mm -hmm. definitely more an old school manager. I think one of the reasons he was you know not hired immediately after he he left the Yankees was that people were worried that he wasn't going to be able to connect with the younger generation, which mm -hmm. he's had zero issue with in in yeah, Philadelphia. No. So you know, but. Um, what was the guy's name? Gene Segura. He he made a handful of errors in that series yep. that uh, and he threw the glove, which you're not allowed to do, and mm -hmm. Girardi blew up on him. But then when he was questioned on it in the media, he was like, "Nope, nope, we're handling this internally," which is what you want to do. You, you know why? There's no need to fan the flames, you mm -hmm. know. And look, say what you will, unwritten rules. You shouldn't hit a three zero Ephus pitch to dead center moonshot, whatever. You know, it's impressive that he did it. Do you have any idea how much force you have to generate in order to do something like that? It's true. velocity must have been like 60 miles an hour. It's because of how slow it was. Like, but, yeah. you know, you don't throw your own guys under the bus. Like, one of the reasons why every Mets fan in the world loves Terry Collins is because of how he went to bat for Noah Syndergaard after he threw behind Chase Utley after Utley had taken out Tejada. You know, he got in that guy's face. You sit there, you watch that clip. He, he endears himself to you because of how willing he is to go to bat for his players. Larusa, who arguably shouldn't even be the manager right now, given everything else that's going really on off the field, you know, he's ostracizing himself even more so than he already has with his off the field antics. You know, so when you look at what happened with Cleveland, with the Cleveland uh, Cavaliers, you know, they really got rid of the coach because of how poorly he was connecting with the guys. You ostracize yourself. <laughs> Yes, I know you guys will love yeah. that reference. You got to give us a shot. Grass is in the jackpot, pal. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> no, um, that was a classic. 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 Was, oh, favorite, speaking of rants, did you guys see CC Sabathia's reaction? I know you guys aren't the biggest fans of CC, but like, you say, say what you want. Yeah, exactly. He was one hundred percent correct in his in his assessment of the incident. Like. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to completely repeat all of the vocabulary he used. If you want to go watch that, it's a little spicy. Just don't show it around kids. That's my one warning. But I, I, he's absolutely right. Like, if you're going to be a manager of a team, don't go throwing your guys under the bus. There's a right way and wrong way to handle incidents that you find are wrong. And tell, calling them out of the media is not is not the correct way to handle it. And let me just say another thing, too. This also is not the first time that Tony LaRusa has had a problem with the Mercedes. There you go. There you go. But th 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 that's exactly that's exactly it, though. That you know, I don't think he's the he really isn't the right manager for this team. Too. This is a young, gritty team that ha that has the new style of baseball with them. You know, with Tim Anderson, Mercedes, all these guys. Um, they have the new style of, style of baseball where baseball is headed. Basically, it's a little more flashy. You know, and a lot of the older fans aren't going to like that. Us younger fans love it. But you know, he, he that's why he he wasn't. That was why it was a bit of a head shaker. Why when they uh when they hired him as the manager too, because you know he's pushing eighty. Is he eighty? Uh -huh. uh, you you would know. Hank. 77. 77. So he's seventy six, seventy seven. He's he's geriatric. Yeah. So he's pushing eighty. You know he, he probably isn't going to be around that long. And this is going to be this is a team that's young, and you're hoping to have this core together for a while. You want to have a young manager that kind of like blends with them you know that you can kind of build the team around with you know like as Jimenez, Moncada, Anderson, 
uh, Abreu as they all get deep into their careers. Hopefully they're all, you know, they can keep that core together with the White Sox. You want to have a manager that kind of sticks with them for most of their careers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if that wasn't Rick Renteria when they fired him, um, it's definitely not going to be Tony La Russa. And, you know, there was all these issues off the field before the season. And like, like John alluded to uh, that he borderline shouldn't have even gotten the job completely. He should have got the job taken away, but then you go about and do this. It's not looking good for him. It really isn't like, he's not putting himself, you know, he's, he's a decorated manager. He's done a great job in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, he's had some winning teams. He's won some world series, but you know, the baseball is different now. And, the, it's a younger generation and the game as you know, his generation was once back in like the sixties and seventies when they were the younger generation of baseball, that it's moving into a new generation. So I think that it would have been smart for them to hire a younger manager, you know, mm-hmm. after someone younger that they could have tried to build the team around. But it's, you know, it's, if this is going to keep going on, it's, I don't see why it's worth uh, keeping him around that long. I really don't, even if they're winning. You know, I they're winning. They're winning because their rotation has been disgusting, yeah. and they've been even with Eloy Jimenez hurt. They've been they've been raking. They've had Mercedes leads the league in uh, batting average. Guy they picked up off the scrap heap. So you know, they're winning more in spite of him. Yeah, they're winning more in spite of Larusa rather than because of him. Exactly, and you know. Let me point this out, too, before I get on to my next topic and before we kind of go rapid fire through these other topics. I do want to point out that remember who hired him, Jerry Reinsdorf. This is the same guy who basically is responsible for that Bulls team breaking apart. And you want to look up at some of the other things he's done. He's one of the owners that's he's probably the the owner that's most responsible for the strike of 94. I'm not going to go too much into detail on that tangent, but. My point is that was a that was a managing decision that had his fingerprints all over it, and it just goes to show you it's it's a real damn shame that the White Sox are owned by somebody who's really a cheapskate and is more in it for like the money and getting names because it's it's a really good team that they've been developed and it it's sad. But uh, anyways, let's talk about uh, the unicorn Shohei Otani. Fourteen home runs, he's leading the league. The guy can pitch too, and I got some fun facts for you. So. Not only is he leading the league, he's all he's got the third most stingers by an angel in the first 40 games of the season. Only Mike Trout hit more, 16 in 2020 of all years, believe it or not. And uh, Wally Joyner hit 15 in the first 40 games of the 1986 season. That was a pretty decent angel scene, by the way. He has done a lot of crazy things. He had a home run out of the strike zone. He basically pulled a Vlad Guerrero. He hit a clutch go-ahead home run against the Boston Red Sox on Sunday pretty much avoided the sweep by the Angels. I mean, the Angels have been a team that they got off to a good start, but they've kind of fallen down a bit. But I think the one reason to really watch them is because of not even Mike Trout, as great as he is. It's Shohei Otani. He's, he's insane. And not only that, he batted second while being a starting pitcher. He let off the day being a starting pitcher, the day after being a starting pitcher. Both are things that haven't happened in the major league since, since like over 100 years ago. It's crazy. And he also became the third player ever to play the field same game that he struck out 10 batters. I think he played right field immediately after 88 pitches. That's nuts. And he's only one of two players on record to throw a ball 100 miles an hour and hit one 100 miles per hour in the same game. Crazy stuff. What are you guys' thoughts on Shohei? I think he's insane. And, you know, say what you will. This is going to be like a little tangent, but say what you will about, you know, pitchers not hitting in, you know, universal DH. 
Who's to say that one of these guys won't turn out to be him? You know, the next him. You right. Know, you got to give these guys a shot. And you you have like the Degroms of the world who is batting like two something and you know basically hitting five hundred this year. But I like it when pitchers hit, and I think we should try and move more in a direction where this is more of the norm than an anomaly. You know, but he he's insane. I think he's one of two guys this year that have thrown pitches over a hundred and one miles an hour. The other one being Degrom with one hundred two. So. He's he's fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, he's he a lot of fun, and I think that it's good for baseball too because it's it's so entertaining. Um, you got to get to see a player. He's he's a unicorn. He really is. You don't. Yeah. You, we've never seen something like this before, obviously in our lifetimes, or anybody who's still who, you know, even the oldest of baseball fans have never seen something like this. It's it's pretty incredible that a guy could be this. You know how difficult it is to be that consistent as a pitcher in baseball. Um, you can be able to do that and you could be able to be a consistent hitter too. Like it's just, it's kind of crazy to think about. It really is like that. You could actually, there's a guy that can actually do that because, you know, there's guys who, you know, can't even get one of those things down and so end up having short careers. And that's, that's basically every baseball player that has a short career. So I, I think it's awesome. I think it's like I think it's super cool getting to like getting to see this and you know um they especially him in a lineup with Trout and Rendon too right. it's, it's fun to watch that's why the I I I'm really I'm pulling for the Angels I think a lot I think most baseball fans who you know aren't um AL West fans of other teams Mm-hmm. probably feel the same. We all want to see the Angels in the, oh, yeah. in the postseason. That's going to be must-watch games, and that's going to be must-watch baseball. So we want to see – because we want to see Trout, but we also want to see Otani. Right, exactly. I completely agree. I, I just wish they were a better team. But um, yeah. unfortunately, that, unfortunately, they're owned by a guy who just loves to throw money at random places. So, oh, well, what can you do? But before I move on, speaking of the Angels, let's talk about a guy they just got rid of. we got two more topics left. First off, Albert Pujols to the Dodgers. Now, I got to say, seeing him in Dodger blue felt pretty weird, especially seeing him wearing the number 55, because I'm so used to seeing him wear number five. This is like one of those like random baseball Paul Famer on a team, like, you know, Willie Mays with the Mets, Hank Aaron with the Milwaukee Brewers, Pudgy Rodriguez with the Washington Nationals in 2011, and um, Greg Maddox with the LA Dodgers. And of course, you're going to appreciate this one, Mike Piazza with the Oakland A's. What, what do you... Did you guys like the seal? I feel like it's not, it's really more a deal having him around the bench and having him as like a leader. And maybe it's like having him like go on the retirement tour, getting one more shot at world series ring, but it's pretty cool that he drove in a run in his first game with the Dodgers. And uh, do you guys think he can contribute to a championship or do you think he's just like a bandaid? Because remember the Dodgers would be dealing with a lot of injuries. They were without Cody Bellinger. So It'll be interesting to see how how the Dodgers fare, what the Dodgers decide to do with Pujols. What do you, what, what's your guys' take? Well, I think it's a little bit of a head-scratcher because I think one of the main reasons as to why he wanted out from mm-hmm. Anaheim, I guess, was uh, he said that he wanted to be an everyday player, and they were going to transition him to the bench, mm-hmm. sort of more of a pinch-hitting role like Pablo Sandoval on the Braves, which still blows my mind that he's even still in the league. I, I thought he was gone like years ago, um, but uh, you know. So I, I I thought it would have made a, bit, a little bit more sense for him to go to an AL team where you know he wouldn't need to play the field and he could just essentially be a designated hitter. Because and correct me if I'm wrong, but he's still batting something crazy against left-handed pitchers. So you know, he could definitely contribute. That's not a question. It's just you know he's he's old and he's he's definitely not a good fielder. You know, so it would have made more sense to 
go to an AL team, just be DH. But um, I agree with what you said that I think he'll be a very good locker room presence for them because, you know, he's got championship pedigree. They're coming off a World Series win. You know, he'll, he'll just be a good player to have, especially knowing that he's probably not going to be their everyday first baseman. But, mm-hmm. you know, you know the guy has been clutch for the entirety of his career. You know, you need a big pinch hit, home run, whatever. Duke can come in and do it all, you know. So yeah. I think it definitely makes sense, especially considering how depleted they are. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if his role slightly diminishes as more players come back from the I.L. I yeah, agree. it's always good to have a Hall of Famer on your bench, right? Right. <laughs> oh, for sure. It's a, it's always a little bit, it's a, you know, not even just Hall of Famer, a generational talent, you know, the best hitter of probably are him and Ken Griffey Jr., I would say, are the two best hitters we've ever seen. Um, mm-hmm. the, you know, you can argue with which one was better, but yeah, I think, I mean, I think it was a good addition. I, but it, I also, I understand both sides of it. You know, I understand mm-hmm. why the angels wanted to move on from it. You got Jared Walsh at first base. No times your DH, he wasn't going to play. And there was some frustration why he wasn't going to play. And exactly like you said, John kind of makes you wonder like why, he chose the Dodgers too, where he's not, when everybody comes back healthy, he's going to be their bench. He's going to be a pinch hitter primarily. You know, it's like he was, was it really that he wanted to leave the angels primarily because um, he wasn't getting much playing time or was it because he'd rather be, if he's going to be a bench piece, he'd rather be a bench piece for a team that's trying to win. Exactly. You know, the angels are well under 500 and the angels even though they should be winning and they have some of the biggest stars in baseball, they haven't been doing that. And, you know, I think this is great for him though, too, because the, you know, a lot of people have said this is probably his last season. Uh, This was going to be the last year of his long-term long contract he had with the angels. So I think the, I think it's good for him because it might be one last chance to get a third ring. And, you know, it's, I think, I think it'd be pretty cool. So I, I, I think it's good for, for both sides, you know, I, and I think there's more to the story than they tell us to. I think there's more than it's more than just he was fr- he was frustrated with not playing with the Angels. I think he was frustrated with the organization, to be right. honest with you. Yeah, I, I I would agree. I think he, I think he probably felt, hey, if I'm not going to be doing anything, let me just go to a winner. See you later. I'm going to go out, enjoy my retirement with another ring, and uh, go into Cooperstown in five years and enjoy this. I will say this though, it makes me feel really old because I remember when I was. You know, probably 12, 13, I was playing travel baseball in Arizona, you know, because I was living out west at the time. And so it was right around the time of spring training. And I remember, you know, we had an off day. So we got to go to the games and the Angels were playing. And I remember just being so excited to see Albert Pujols playing in person because it was right after he had signed the contract. Yeah. And he, I mean, and he looked great in spring training. I know, obviously, say what you will about his career with the Angels, but, you know, at the time he was in his prime and, I just remember coming away from that thinking like just completely forgetting that I had even seen him because it was the first time I had seen Mike Trout on a baseball field. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. It was nuts, but it makes me feel old that he's, you know, just about to retire. Same with David Wright, Daniel Murphy, you know, all the guys wearing my Murphy shirt right now. (laughs) Yep. Or old, even with the black Murphy shirt too. So it's even better. I was going to say, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I would say, honestly, as much as I love Ken Griffey Jr., and make a mistake, I really do. He's one of the best players of all time. I would say the best player during our lifetime is probably Albert Pujols, just because Griffey's prime was during the 90s. Like, unfortunately, as great as he was, when he was playing, like, during our years, like, watching baseball, that was kind of when he started getting injured, and that was when, like, unfortunately, he had a lot of bad breaks. And whereas with Pujols, I think we pretty much got to see a lot of his best years, and 
you know, every year he was with the Cardinals, except for his last year. He hit like at least 300, like on average, he hit like 320, 35 home runs, 100 plus RBIs. Like that's an amazing stretch that I don't know if we're going to really see again. 11 years of doing this, that's insane. But one more topic before we go, another Southern California team, San Diego Padres. They're on a six game winning streak right now. In fact, they're tied with San Francisco Giants for the most wins, but they're only behind the Giants by one game in said all-important loss column. They've actually won nine of their last 10 games in addition to that. And it also what also helped was their last game they played, Fernando Tatis, one of my favorite players, actually possibly even my favorite current non-Yankee in the major leagues. He went four for four, he had two doubles, he had a home run in their 3 nothing win over Colorado. But the main thing I want to talk about with San Diego Padres, not really just how good they are, is... Let's first get to the Machado incident because we've seen Manny Machado in baseball have a history of doing things that are very controversial. Like I think the two biggest things that come to mind were when he slid into Betroy and when the Red Sox intentionally threw at him shortly thereafter. And then of course you remember the brief time he was with the Dodger, he stepped on, I think it was Jesus Aguilar. He stepped on the guy's ankle and then he also admitted to not hustling. Like as talented as the guy is, he can dog it sometimes. No, he's no, angry. I agree. It's kind so of a that's where his dirty reputation comes from, even though not everything he's done was dirty. And um, I don't know about you guys, but I didn't think what he did against St. Louis was as bad as like some of the other things he did. Now, granted, I don't know if I would have done something that dangerous. I mean, it certainly wasn't as bad as the Chase Utley. And this is coming from me, obviously, saying that the Chase Utley play was bad. But with that having been said, like, it's. I don't think that play really helps him in terms of his popularity or his reputation, for that matter. Yeah, I don't think it necessarily was bad, uh, what he did. I don't think it was as bad as some of the other stuff he's done. You know, you also had the Josh Donaldson thing that happened, like, years yeah. ago. Donaldson was uh, was in Oakland. He was in Baltimore. Um, they, there's uh, – a lot, a lot that he's done that you can complain about, but I feel like the thing that he did this weekend, like he slid to break, he he slid not even completely to break up double play, but kind of to just get out of the way of it. And he wasn't, you could obviously tell that he wasn't trying to like he, or to hurt somebody. Chase Udley's slide wasn't even a slide because oh. by the time he made contact with Tejada, his his L, he, he was still he wasn't even a sliding motion. It was a full on tackle. It was a blindside tackle. Right. If you've ever, if I've ever seen one on a baseball field, it's not even close. But yeah, what Machado did wasn't was not terrible. But the fact, if this was a guy who was a first time offender and hadn't really ever done anything yeah. dirty or ever, like you know, dogged it to first base and you know hit a ball off the wall that ended up only being a single because he didn't run out of the box in the World Series, you know, that was that was terrible. But. Yeah. You know, if he if he has, doesn't have a history of that, then you wouldn't really care that much because it wasn't really that big of a deal. But people are going to talk about it because you know he's got a history of these things, and you know I don't think it necessarily was that bad. I don't think it was um, one of the worst things he's ever done. But you know, but he also he's got to watch himself because he's created he's created kind of a bad narrative for himself. Yeah, well, I completely agree. And I mean, put yourself in his shoes for a second. You know, let's let's take his reputation aside. Put that you know away for a minute. When you're in that situation, you could do one of three things. You could, you know, run out of the base path, which is an automatic out that does nothing to break up the double play. You yeah. could stand straight up, keep going, get pelted in the face with the ball. You know, not only are you out, so is the runner going to first because it's uh, base runner's interference. Or you could do what he did, and you're you're taught to try and break up the double play and. 
it wasn't malicious. You know, he didn't, I think the second baseman who, who flopped a little bit, he definitely milked it, you know, just because, you know, why would you not in that situation? That's kind of what you're supposed to do. But, yeah. you know, you don't train for that. You don't practice situations like that. It's instinctual, you know? So you, you do one of the three things and he did the one that gave him the best opportunity to break up the double play, which is what you're told to do, you know? So I don't think there was any malicious intent behind it. But now you add in his reputation as sort of being like hothead punk almost, you know, and, you know, granted, he's, he's done a lot of things. He's like you guys have alluded to. He's dogged it a bunch. You know, I remember I forget who they were playing, but you know, he flipped out because someone tagged him too hard, you know. So yeah, Donaldson won. Yeah. yeah. He hasn't done anything to help himself. You know yeah. what I mean? So this I right. think his star power and his reputation is sort of why this is getting the type of attention that it is. And there's, there's the expression, you know, well, all press is good press. Well, this is not good press. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> Nothing so. to help your reputation or your legacy for that matter. So. When, it comes to, when it comes to sports, all press is not good press. Right. Good. Yeah, yeah, no. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, I, I think it really depends on the player you're talking about in question. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, absolutely. Manny Machado is one of those guys where nine out of ten times, if you're going to hear about him in the news, it's probably not for something good. And – yeah. You know what, though? I will say this and play devil's advocate. There is one thing and one thing only that I'm going to give him credit for. At least he's honest about not liking hustle, you know? Yeah. Like, remember <laughs> in the playoffs when he was with the Dodgers, he he straight up told the media, no, I don't like hustling. It's it's just not my thing. <laughs> uh, who was he with when, uh, when he said they didn't pay him enough to play defense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that was that was pretty bad. That was pretty that, bad. That was Baltimore, right? That was when he was in Baltimore. No, no, no. That was with the Dodgers. I think oh, that, that was during the playoffs. That was during the playoffs. You would think that he he would have chosen that time not to say it because he was about to get paid as a free agent. But like, yeah. I don't know. Oh it, my god, it was weird. But um, anyways, let's talk about the Padres. Let me ask you this about the San Diego Padres. Like, as I mentioned, they've won nine of their last ten games. They're on a six-game winning streak. Pitching isn't great. And, you know, the crazy part is most of this happened without Tatis. Because as I mentioned, he actually missed multiple parts of the season. Like, first he had the he had the injury from, like, swinging. I, I forgot who that was against. But he came back just in time for the Dodgers. And, gosh, I love that series. That, that sparked a lot of fireworks. It was probably my favorite part of the baseball season so far. And then, of course, there was um, – you know, there, there was the fact that they won a lot of these games without him. Now he's back. He hits a home run. Like, do you think this is the year that finally someone somebody overtakes the Dodgers for first place in the division? Because the Padres are per, are pretty lethal. I'm not going to lie. I think it's definitely possible. I mean, you look at some of the moves that they made. Um, you know, they got Hugh Darvish in the offseason. Uh, the guy Jake Cronenworth, who they have playing second because of Tatis at short. You know, he's – I want to say he's batting like 308 right now. So the guy – they have a lot of – talent and not just talent they have a lot of young talent which i think bodes rather well for them um but i mean they've been they've been injured i mean like you said tatis jr has been injured i think they just activated hosmer today off the il mm-hmm. so you know i think they and plus like they don't even have sunshine clevenger right now i don't think i mean I'm, i think he's still a couple months away from coming back because he hurt himself yeah. at the end of last year but you know sort of similar to the Mets like they'll they'll be getting all the right pieces back at just the right time to make a deep push so you know say what you will about the Dodgers getting Bauer and you know them being the reigning champs I think it could really come down to the wire and I wouldn't be surprised if let's say they don't outright win the division if they end up beating the Dodgers in a playoff series because they got the wild card I wouldn't be surprised yeah no I think it's it's gonna 
I think there's no way it doesn't come down to the last week of the season. Unfortunately, as much as I'd rather pick, I'd rather pick the Padres to win the division. I just don't know if it's going to happen. I think even with all their injuries, the Dodgers are still loaded. They've got experience and a World Series title on their side. It's really tough. And Tom brings up a good point. Mark Melanson is really good. Saves leader, too. Yeah. That's another thing that's been carrying the Padres, too. Tom, Tom brings up a good point. The bullpen's been absolutely <clears throat> lights out. I don't think they had a legitimate plan as to who their closer was going to be, but then they pretty much established that it was Melanson shortly thereafter, and I think that was probably the right decision. And – yeah, the NL West, I think, by far is the most intriguing division of all this season. And um, that'll pretty much wrap up our show this week. John and Paul, I want to thank you guys so much for coming on. This was a lot of fun discussing baseball with you guys, even if obviously I'm a pinstripe and you guys love those Metropolitans from Queens. But, um, John, first of all, thanks for coming. I'm glad you like this. We will definitely have to have you back on the show another time. Paul, obviously, we we're going to have you back a number of times like that goes without saying, but before I sign off, Paul, please give us, tell us where we can find you guys and tell us about your basketball show that you do on Monday, the three and D. Cause I hear it's a pretty good one. I may or not be tuning in myself a lot of those nights, despite my, despite not following basketball as much, but I'm sort of getting better and getting back into the swing of things with that sport. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the three and D for review and preview also with, uh, like where, where Hank does his, it's every Monday night at seven. Uh, College, cover college basketball and NBA. Every different, you know, we have we sometimes have guests. We have a bunch of anal, we have a bunch of analysis by myself, um, especially NBA draft stuff. Uh, I just created a Twitter for it too at the three and D. Uh, doing pretty decently on that, and you know, you can and you can catch us on the review and preview YouTube channel. All of our full episodes are up on there, and you can catch all of our full episodes in podcast form anywhere you listen to podcasts Apple, Spotify, etc. And you know, the brand new episode coming again this Monday at seven, so it's going to be it's going to be exciting. We're definitely excited for the NBA playoffs. Yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to watching that that episode as well as well as the basketball playoffs, and really looking forward to seeing how the Knicks do. But, um, anyways, before as always, like I said at the beginning of the show, don't forget to give us a follow on all of our forums on social media: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You know it, and of course, please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. And until next week, this has been another episode of Hitting for the Cycle. I'm Hack Conductor. I'll see you around.